Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Julie Henricus, the Executive Director of Sisters in Crime, and I am really happy to welcome Brenda Buchanan to the podcast today. Brenda brings experience as a lawyer and a journalist to her crime fiction. The three books in her Joe Gale series, which are Quick Pivot, Cover Story, and Truth Beat, feature a newspaper reporter who covers the main crime and courts beat. Her short story, Means, Motive, and Opportunity, is included in Bloodroot, Best New England Crime Stories of 2021. She's just finished a new novel featuring the protagonist of that story, lesbian criminal defense lawyer, Neva Pierce. An active member of Sisters in Crime, Brenda also serves on the organizing committees of both the New England Crime Bank and the Maine Crime Wave. She's also a longtime member of the Maine Crime Writers Blog. Welcome to the podcast, Brenda. Well, hello, Julie. It's so wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. I can't think of a nicer way to spend a winter evening than chatting with you. <laughs> well, I so as we're recording this, it's um, February, and we're both in New England and in different states, but it's cold and and winter in New England, which is not. Not the best. Exactly. <laughs> yes, indeed. It is. It is. And I'm I'm actually in my office because it's nice and quiet here in the evening. And uh, this has been a cold place this week. I, I work in a very old building in downtown Portland. And, uh, you know, the cold gets into the bones of these old, you know, 200 yeah. year old buildings and it's hard to get them out. So it's been a it's been a chilly, a chilly week here. But um, but it's nice. Uh, today was a warmer day, so it's a little easier. So, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it, you know, it's a good season for reading and it's a good season for writing, yes. but it's, <laughs> <laughs> but it is cold for sure. Um, I, we have so much to talk about, Yes, but I'm going to start where I always start and ask you when you said to yourself, I want to write a novel. Boy, that was very early in my life. Um, I, uh, I don't know if you know this about me. I grew up in Massachusetts uh, in a mill town called Fitchburg, which is up in the north uh, central part of the state, uh, right near the New Hampshire border. And Fitchburg uh, had a youth library um, that was a separate building connected by a little walkway, but a separate building from the main library. Um, mm-hmm. And it had been I know created by philanthropists who built the paper mills that were the town's bread and butter. And it meant that there was a very, very high value in that town on children reading. And I can remember going to that library um, with my mother and my sister, my older sister, who was just a year older. She must have been five or so or six. And she got a library card and I wanted a library card and you couldn't get one until you could write your name. And that was the rule. And so if she was five, I was four. So the first thing we did when we went home was to teach me to write my name so that the next time we went to the library, I could get a card. And I can remember being, you know, 
seven or, or so and standing in the stacks and saying to myself or saying sort of to the books, I'm going to read every one of you, you know, <laughs> and someday I'm going to be writing. I'm, my books are going to be in this library, you know, and wow. from the time I was just such a young kid, it was like the magic was in books and I wanted a piece of that magic. Um, you know, and then you know, all through school. I mean, I was always the one who would be writing. I would be writing stories. Um, you know, when I was, uh, I went to Catholic school, um, and the nuns very much encouraged that. I mean, they taught us grammar and then a different period of the day we learned spelling, which was just vocabulary building. And then yet a third hour of the day was spent on literature. Um, Mm. so I got all that, you know, backing, uh, all that grounding, uh, in that. And, uh, you know, that carried me through then when I was like in high school, I was the editor of the school newspaper and, and all of those sort of things. Um, and I also used to, you know, play with writing fiction and, uh, I went to, uh, school for journalism, um, uh, and Northeastern there in Boston. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I studied journalism, but at the same time, uh, Robert B. Parker was a professor at Northeastern at that time in the English department. And I took creative writing with him. It was right. This would have been like 1978, probably, which was, I think, I know he retired from writing, uh, from teaching. He, you know, he, he went to write full time, the dream, you know? Uh, so he was probably like five books in maybe to the Spencer series. Um, at that point, um, he just won the Edgar actually for, um, I think it was like, um, promised land and, and wow. he gave up teaching, but the last year it was either the last year or the next to the last year he was there. I took two courses with him, um, which, you know, was just wonderful because, you know, he was somebody who yeah. I, I had found his books, you know, early on. And when he, when he wasn't a household name, um, So that was cool. And so I always had in my mind, like I, you know, I did journalism because that allowed me to make a living, but uh, my heart, I wanted to also be writing fiction. And, and part of that maybe was just the appeal of the duality of it, you know, journalism, so grounded in facts. And, Mm -hmm. and then I wanted to be able to make stuff up, you know, I mean, there was like another part of me that wanted to do that. And, and, uh, so I did have a career in journalism for a while after graduating from Northeastern and then ended up going to law school of all things. Um, because <laughs> among <laughs> other things, I covered the courts and then covered the main legislature and I became kind of interested in law. And, uh, and so I went to law school and for a long time that really took my focus on while I was learning yeah. to be a lawyer. Um, but all the time it was back there in the back of my mind, uh, not to go back to journalism, but to go back to fiction writing. Um, you know, and did you, you know, because when you're writing, when you're a journalist or, you know, when you're a lawyer, it's a different type of writing. Oh. I mean, it's a different oh, yes. exercise. I of had the to brain. unlearn some of when I started writing fiction, um, when I went back to it, I really had to unlearn some of the legal writing because it's a very formal, um, way of, of writing for sure. Yes. Uh, for more yeah. than even journalism, I mean, journalism, you can be conversational, uh, to some extent. Um, but, uh, you know, law is a very formalized thing. So I had to really learn to like take off the lawyer hat 
and put on the writer hat. Um, and I was happy to find that I could do that, you know, actually. Um, so, uh, it happened probably now, uh, about 15 years ago, um, I had been living on an island uh, in Casco Bay, Peaks Island, um, which is uh, a neighborhood of Portland, really. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, truly. And I, I lived there for a dozen years year-round and, and loved it. And uh, it was an interesting place to live. And we were getting ready to move off the island um, for a variety of reasons. And probably the fr- when we started talking about that, um, I was thinking, you know, if I didn't live on the island, didn't have to commute to work by boat, I'd probably have more time in my life. And I bet I could fill that time writing a book. So somehow yeah. in my mind, the idea that when we moved off the island, I was going to get serious about writing. And maybe it was just like my love for the island. I was going to now transfer to my love for writing or something, but I, I, it was time. It was love. It was, it was a bunch of things. Yeah. And so uh, we moved off in 2000, the very end of 2007. So yeah, 15, well, 14 years ago now. And, uh, and when we got to our new house, that's the first thing I did was set up writing space, uh, where I could be writing. And, uh, within a very short period of time, I really committed to a daily or a regular writing routine, um, which was important uh, for me. That's very important because I also, of course, have a full-time job um, in, as a lawyer still. And um, so, and it did turn out I had more time in my life because it is much easier to just pop into the office when you live on the mainland than it is to have to come across the water, yes. <laughs> you know, wait for the boat <laughs> and stuff. So I, um, that's really what kicked it off about 14 years ago where I jumped back in uh, with both feet. And, you know, all those years while I was being a lawyer, some of it, I didn't even know Julie, but back in the recesses of my brain, plots were forming characters were making themselves known to me because when I did sit down to really, uh, start writing there, I realized there were people I'd been thinking about. There were plots I'd been thinking about. There were stories I'd been thinking about. There were, you know, all those things were there. And I just now had to find a way to tap them. And that was really a joy to figure that out. Yeah. 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 So first of all, let me just say, I'm very jealous that you took classes as an undergrad with Robert Parker. <laughs> I mean, that must have been very interesting. Yeah, it was. Um, but was for you, was it always crime fiction? Were you, did you ever think about writing another genre or, or anything else? Or, you know, was, was you know, was it always crime? It was always crime fiction. It had nothing to do with him influencing me toward crime fiction. I read crime fiction all the time, you know? Uh, and, uh, even when I was young, I mean, I, I read a lot of crime fiction. I mean, I read a lot of things, but I, I, crime fiction was my thing. And weirdly, you know, when I was a journalist, um, particularly, you know, my co-op job when I was at, uh, Northeastern, um, was at the Boston Globe. Um, which was a, a joy also because I'd grown up reading the globe and it was just really yeah. cool to yeah. be in that newsroom, um, working in the same newsroom as people who I'd read my whole life, you know, and when you're a young reporter, a reporter trainee is what we were called. Um, you worked, you know, the courts and crime, well, the crime beat pretty much the, you know, city desk, which was fires and crimes and things And you, and you worked either four to midnight 
or midnight to late in the morning. And midnight to eight in the morning had a wonderful um, nickname for that shift, which was the lobster shift, um, which I'm going to use in a story someday. So nobody out there yeah. who's listening to this broadcast <coughs> should steal that because that's mine. Um, so most of the time I worked the lobster shift. So I would work from midnight to late in the morning on the streets in Boston. And that was when crime happened. And that was when fires happened. And, and interestingly, yeah. just last week, you know, um, Gabriel Valjean has just announced, uh, I mean, uh, released his, his second book has just been published. I mean, in the, the, the Shane Cleary, actually, I don't think it's the second one, but Hush Hush just came out and Symphony Road yeah. is another one in that series. And that's, they're set at the time that I was working in Boston. And that's the neighborhood where I lived in the fence over here by Northeastern. So, I mean, it just is all so real to me. And when I read his work yeah. and, uh, and it was a gritty, it was a different Boston than it is now. Because so this is you know eighties, right? I yes. mean eighties Boston. Right. So the combat zone was still oh, yeah. there, and yes. uh, crime and you know gentrification of the South End hadn't started hadn't yet. Really started. And, no, and I yeah. I lived over there in the, in the Fenway, and uh, right, uh, you know we would uh, I I would be out in the streets in the middle of the night, and I had my own globe car and I had a little radio and the photographer who was the overnight guy had a, another car and a radio, but we rode separately because some stories, you know, were worth yeah. a picture and others were worth a story and some were worth both. And we'd bump into each other at, you know, big fires and stuff. But it was when I kind of got a sense of that side of the world. I mean, and I was a kid, I was like 21 years old, you know, and you know, my yeah. parents on some level were kind of proud of me and others were probably a little horrified and worried. And, and a lot of the older men at the, at the globe at the time, particularly the ones who worked that late shift were very protective. They were like father figures, you know, they, yeah. they were always yeah. checking in with me on the radio to make sure I was okay. You know, I remember one night, particularly there was a bad fire in the North end. And of course there's nowhere to park in the North end. So fire trucks had to like hit cars to get to the, you know, house. Yeah. and it was just, uh, you know, freezing cold. It was like this week, you know, when, I mean, just so yeah. cold. And so the water was just freezing as soon as it came out of the hoses and stuff. And I was waiting to talk to the press officer, the fire, fire department has a press officer. And, uh, I was trying to figure out like how many people have been driven out and, you know, all those things, which was my job. And, uh, a firefighter turned around with a hose that was not in any way full blast, but it was still leaking water. And it hit me. I mean, the water hit me and my clothes just like flash froze on my body. <laughs> and of course I was parked like blocks away because, you yeah. know, the fire trucks had had to ram their way in. I couldn't ram my way in. And I can remember it was the coldest I'd ever been in my life, you know, walking over to the, oh. to the uh, back to my car with the globe car and then calling on the radio and saying to the guys who were back in the newsroom, my clothes get soaked at the fire, you guys. Um, you know, I'm on my way back. Somebody opened the door on the roof in the Globe. At that time, you could drive up on the roof. I had a parking lot that was right outside the newsroom. And they were like there at the door, right? you know, with blankets <laughs> yeah. because they knew, you know, what it was. And I mean, it was just, it was just one of those things. It was a wonderful, wonderful kind of growing up story. Yeah. So I did get to experience that world and that, uh, you know, probably enhanced my interest in writing uh, crime fiction. Uh, and, uh, and I'm so glad that I do that now. I mean, yeah. Um, 
your stories in that time period are reminding me of uh, Val McDermott's most recent book, 1979. Oh, I don't know if you're in. I have not read it. <laughs> I, it's, uh, it was, uh, Diane, my, my wife has been trying to get that for me for, she tried it at Christmas time and she couldn't get it delivered for some reason. And yeah. I am dying to read it because yes, she came out of journalism too. And she is just one yeah. of my heroes uh, as a former yeah. journalist, as just such a marvelous, marvelous crime writer, um, as a lesbian uh, who writes a lesbian yeah. character. Uh, and uh, I, she is really somebody who I, I admire so much. Uh, and I can't wait to, wait to read that book. Did you like it? I did. I liked it. She's a unbelievable writer, but I also love that she's going to be following this character mm -hmm. for 50 years. She's writing, you know, the next book is 1989. And, and I just find that fascinating. And she, she got me into the, that period of time so well with the music and the things she referred to yeah. that it was just, it, it's, you know, it's a treat. It's, it's, yeah. well, I probably yeah. will She's, be yeah. yeah riveted to it. I'm going to need to take a few couple days off when, when I finally yeah. get to my yeah. hot little hands because <laughs> I, I think I'm just probably going to dive right in and uh, not come up yeah. for air. Yeah. 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 But it's you, it's the world that you've just been talking about and it's that's so when you wrote, your first series. Yes. You wrote about a reporter. That's right. And as I said, I mean, you know, it, Joe Gale is his name and he's a newspaper reporter in Portland, here in Portland, Maine. And, you know, I'm not really sure why my, my protagonist was a man other than that's who came in. That's who'd been percolating in the back of my brain. Yeah. All those years when I was, you know, not writing yet. And, uh, and I, um, love him. I love him. I, yeah. I, I feel like he could be my son. Um, he's, he's yeah. that age, I guess if I had a son, he would be about that age. And, uh, and he is an old school reporter. One of the things about Joe, if people who are listening to this, who enjoy books with journalist protagonists is that he's an old school journalist. He is somebody who, um, when he came out of college and went to the first newspaper where he is now, the Portland Daily Chronicle, which is a made-up newspaper, uh, he had, there was an older guy there named Polly Finnegan who was an old-timey reporter, kind of like the guys at the Globe, who I knew actually. Polly is kind of an amalgamation of those guys, and he, you know, the first line of that book is that you know, from my first day at the Portland Daily Chronicle until he dropped out of a heart attack. Three years later, Polly Finnegan held me under his crusty wing and taught me what was what. And that yeah. that that is the first line of the book, which I will never forget, um, because it it really captures the relationship between a young reporter who you, and a and, and a mentor who you know probably isn't yeah. going to be there. They maybe they're going to retire, or maybe they're going to, in the case of Polly, die. Dropped dead at his desk, um, but they really wanted to hold young reporters under their crusty wings and teach us what was what, because they yeah. knew, even then, I'm convinced, that journalism was undergoing so many changes at that time and so many challenges um, for a variety of reasons, you know, other kinds of media, um, and this was long before social media, of course, that, you know, and so Joe... Joe is steeped in that old reporter way. And, yeah. and so the way he goes about covering stories, I mean, he is just Mr. Shoe Leather. And, uh, and he, he doesn't mean to get in trouble, really. It's just he is one of those guys who asks questions and asks questions and asks questions. And when, when there's a rat to smell, he smells it. And 
you know, he is relentless. And, and so, um, I'm really proud of those three books, you know, quick pivot and cover story, uh, and truth beat. Uh, and Joe actually makes an appearance in that short story that was just published, uh, in Bloodroot this, this November. Um, and so is my new protagonist, Neva Pierce, who's a lawyer. Um, and so they know each other because she's a lawyer who covers, you know, who handles high profile criminal cases. And Joe is a reporter who covers those cases. So they're not really colleagues, uh, but they're kind of friends. And so it was a really fun thing to write a short story because I'm hoping uh, that a Neva book will find its way into the world soon. And uh, it was a nice way to kind of introduce all my Joe readers to Neva. You know, kind of a, a yeah. passing of the baton. Although he he makes cameo appearances in the Neva books too. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, she's uh, she's uh, not at all uh, like me, and that I'm 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 not a criminal lawyer. I do real estate and land conservation work uh, primarily, and some estate planning kind of work. I I did cover. I did do handle some criminal work early, very early in my legal career, but mm-hmm. I don't anymore. But I have friends who do, and that is the helpful thing when you're writing uh, a lawyer uh, who's a criminal defense lawyer is to have friends who have tried cases and uh, big big criminal cases because I need to call on them for advice sometimes. Uh, but you know, I know my way around the statutes. I can work on that sort of thing. Um, I can, I can plot a good criminal, uh, story, but you got to make sure that, you know, you keep it within bounds, um, in terms of the believable. And, uh, so Neva, uh, I'm really looking forward to the world meeting Neva Pierce. Yeah. Well, I, we're all looking forward to meeting her, but let's, um, let me talk to you a little bit about your process. When I, I find it fascinating that, you know, you, went to law school and you lived on your island and you're living your life. And meanwhile, all these ideas Mm. and and Joe and everybody else are percolating back there. What's your process like for writing? Do you ruminate on ideas for a long time before they, you know, find their way out? Or, you know, did Joe just, when you finally sat down, sit down next to you and say, let me tell you my story. I mean, how, how do you work? Well, when I, when I finally did sit down, that's pretty much what it is, uh, is that Joe, Joe was bursting to tell me (laughs) the stories and his voice was very, uh, and those were written in first person. Um, and, uh, I, um, he had a lot to say and I listened as well as I possibly could and tried to honor his story. And, uh, I don't, uh, struggle a lot, uh, with my process. I don't do a lot of ruminating. Uh, I'm a pantser, a total pantser, um, by which, you know, I don't, I don't outline. Um, I, I have character sketches that I do of who are going to be the main mm-hmm. characters. And I do write those out and I do a, I mean, the, you couldn't call it an outline. It would be dignifying it to call it an outline. I have a few <laughs> things I jot down and then it's like some, I, I just say go and I start writing. And to me, it's like my process is very much driven by the fact that during the day, uh, you know, five days a week, uh, 
uh, most of the time. I'm a lawyer and I, I have a very busy practice and I that takes all of my time and energy. And when I'm here mm-hmm. in the office, uh, I don't write. Um, I, I, I actually sometimes come in on a weekend and write if I, if I want some quiet time, uh, I might write at my office, but during the week when I'm on a work day, I, I, you know, I, I have, I can't do that. I mean, I, it, I have to keep the two separate. So when I get done being a lawyer, it truly is like taking off one hat and putting on another. And I love that writer hat. It feels like a whole right brain, left brain thing, um, I don't have to care about what's true. I don't have to care about what the statute says. I don't have to find the, um, you know, case that, that, you know, uh, ties the argument together. I can just make things up. And I, I love that so much. And it feels like a release to me and, um, a pleasure. I mean, I uh, do, I've just finished, you know, doing a, a final revision of this book that I'm hoping to get out into the world soon. And, you know, I've been in that part where you look at every word and every sentence and even that yeah. I find pleasurable. Um, the, the fact that I is mine is, yeah. and it's, it's, you know, it's just such a different thing. So I don't, um, struggle and I don't, I, you know, you know, I, I think sometimes people talk about writer's block and, for me, I, you know, sometimes I might get stuck about, well, you know, what's going to happen next or, you know, I, I haven't quite captured what I want to capture in that scene. So I don't jump around in the book, but I'll work on something different. Like I might work on a short story for a day or two and then just come back to the book. Um, or I might mm-hmm. work on, you know, a blog post, you know, for the main, main yeah. crime writers or something and then come back to the book. But I, I don't, I've never had, and I'm, I'm lucky about this maybe, uh, I've never had a prolonged period where I have sat down and thought, oh, that blank page is staring me in the face and there's nothing I can think of to write on it. That That's just not ever happened. And maybe that's the journalism training too. I mean, when you're on deadline, you couldn't perseverate, man. You just had to write. You know, it's like yes, you had yeah. your little reporter's notebook and you had your notes and you had it turn it into a story because a deadline was coming, bam, bam. And, you know, come on, get it on the, you know, get it in, you know. So I, I, that was early in good training, I think, you know, for me. And do you have a writer's group or do you, you know, tell me about how you've been developing your craft. You were a journalist, right. so you, you have writing, you know, but, but you know, how do you, how do you get feedback or how did you get right. better at being a writer, well, a fiction writer? In the beginning, I did have a writing group. Uh, there were four of us in it. Uh, one of them was Jim Heyman, who you may know, he's a main writer also, um, mm-hmm. a mystery crime writer. Uh, he was in my writing group and, uh, my friend Jane Slovin and a, another guy named Richard Billado. And the four of us used to meet and, uh, you know, uh, go through our work. And we did that for several years running. And around that time was when Jim got his first book published. And that was very inspirational that he, he did that. And he's written a bunch of books in that series since then. Um, but I, I, um, I was with that group for a long time. And then when that group kind of people started drifting their separate ways, by then I had gone uh, to Crime Bake. I had met some people there. I had mm-hmm. met, I'd gone to a couple of other writing conferences. I once went to a great one up in Canada called Bloody Words. That was absolutely fabulous. Um, and uh, that was, Louise Penny was the guest of honor and it was before she really yeah. had hit it huge. I mean, she was she was pretty big because she was the guest of honor, but she wasn't like she is now. And, uh, 
And that was very, very fun to be in Canada because Canada is such a cool place anyway. But, um, and, uh, so I'd gone to some of those conferences that, especially I looked at the ones that had craft, you know, and would work on, on that. Mm -hmm. And also just meet the people who then become your beta readers, you know, and now Maine is rich with great crime writers. I mean, I must say that's the other thing that I'm so lucky and blessed. Uh, you know, the people here who have been supportive, uh, of me, uh, I mean, the people certainly on the Maine crime writers blog, um, you know, meaning, you know, Dick Cass, uh, Kate Flora, Kathy Lynn Emerson, um, all, all of those people, yeah. tremendous supporters, and, and you know Bruce Coffin and 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 uh, other other folks. Barbara Ross, I mean Barbara Ross has been yeah. an unbelievable inspiration and help to me. Um, and then there are other folks um, like Julia Spencer Fleming um, lives here in Maine. She writes her books, of course, set in New York, upstate New York. But she uh, she and I were in law school together um, and have been friends now for, you know, 30 years. And, uh, I was so delighted when she, you know, became a writer and she's such a marvelous writer and she's just as fun and interesting in person as she is. You would imagine she is if you had, I'm sure you've met her and she's just a trip. Yeah. Um, yeah. and you know, Chris Holm and, and Katrina Nita's home, his, his wife, who's a reviewer and a writer in her own right. Um, you know, live nearby and we all get together, you know, periodically, um, not just for things like crime wave, but, you know, socially, I mean, there's been a group of us who on Friday nights through the pandemic, um, Dick Cass organized a zoom happy hour that we call variously snicks and drinks or things like that and yeah. playing on snacks and drinks. And so we, you know, from five thirty to six thirty. Oh, Gail Lins is another one. Gail Lins and yeah. her husband John yeah. Sheldon. So they're part of that, and you know, Dick and Ann and and, and uh, Bill and Barb, and and we just all connect. And Barbara Kelly, who's a wonderful bookseller here, is also a friend with a bunch of us. So we all, uh, you know, get together and we just on Zoom through the pandemic. But it's been a bond that has really mattered, I think, to all of us because we're all talking about our work and connecting yeah. and, uh, you know, so we're, we're, I'm very lucky that I've had those people when I've needed a beta reader, when I've needed, uh, you know, to just hash something out. Uh, I've had no, um, shortage of, of people, um, who've been willing to do that with me. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, and just a plug for folks, um, the main crime wave is, is, I don't know if it's going to be, um, virtual this year, or if it's going to be in person, but it takes place in June. Yes, is that, yes, yeah, it is. Um, June 11th, I think is the date. It's a, uh, it's that Saturday in June. That's, I think it's the 11th and, uh, yeah, yeah we're hoping to do it outdoors. Uh, June is a time in Maine where you can do things outdoors. Uh, so we are right now, uh, hopeful, uh, that we'll be able to do it live. We just can't predict COVID. We may end up having to go virtual. We did virtual one last year and it it went very well, but I I think people are so hungry to get together. And if we can do it outdoors and people feel safe in that environment, I think it'll be great. We're just going to keep it to one day. Often it has been a Friday night and Saturday thing because we're adapting we will do it just one yeah. day on the Saturday. Um, and Catherine Hall Page is going to be our guest of honor, which is just, oh, again, wow. a person with main, main connections. So. Yeah. Yeah. 
No, it's um, New England in general oh. has a ton of mystery writers, but Maine has a lot of mystery writers up there. <laughs> long cold um, winters, long cold winters. And it's just, it's, yeah. Maine is a small town, you know, so it's very easy. Yeah. I mean, Paul Dwaran, you know, Tess Gerritsen, those folks are all part of the mix also. Jerry Boyle, you know, Matt Cost, yeah. you know, Vaughn Hardiker up in the county, way up in northern Maine. You know, we all know each other. Oh, and my goodness, you know, uh, Sarah Graves, you would know her as Sarah Graves. Um, yeah. Harry Squibb, uh, yeah. Is uh, also, uh, she's up in Washington County, and she's actually uh, tremendous. She's been an amazing support for me. She's she's. Yeah. She's like one of my fave people in the world. Yeah. So I mean, community makes all the difference. It does. I mean, we Yeah. It does. You are so yeah. right. And you know, in the crime bait community is a big part of that. I mean, you know, yeah. it was so wonderful to be able in November to see people as much as everyone was being very cautious, just to see people in the flesh, you know, was such a wonderful thing. Because crime bait has been a huge part of you know, my, uh, writing development and giving me confidence and all of that, you know? Yeah, no, it's another, uh, that takes place usually around veterans day, um, every year. Um, and it's, um, it's a terrific writer's conference. True. The, both of these are writer's conferences. So, so New England people, you know, mark your calendar. There's craft, right. Really good. Right. Lots of craft, which is just so great. And people are so um, eager for that. Yeah. Manuscript critiques and that sort of thing. When you're out there writing yeah. in the wilderness and you need somebody to look at your work, these conferences are the places that you'll be able to, you know, sign yeah. up to have your manuscript or your first, you know, 15 or 20 pages critiqued. And that for me was huge. And and I now try to pay back the favor by, by signing up to critique other people's manuscripts to the extent my advice is helpful to people. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's conferences and, and learning craft. So important for so many reasons, um, for sure. Um, in your career, um, your writing career, what's the best and the worst piece of writing advice you've gotten? Hmm. Best, best, best. I, well, best, I mean, I think there's more, you know, really than one best bit of advice. I mean, believe in your instincts, your own instincts. Don't let other people tell you what's uh, going to sell or what, you know, what, what you should be writing. I mean, what your heart tells you you should be writing and what you're interested in writing you should write because that's that's going to come through on yeah. the page um yeah uh to find a writing routine that suits you that was a mm-hmm. really important bit of advice that i got early on uh you know find a routine some people write every day i try to write every day um uh but you know i Evenings are less than weekends because I have more time on weekends. So I find a a routine and that means not just carving out the time, but the place and thinking about that occasionally once or twice a year. I often go off on a little retreat uh, where I find places I'm lucky to have friends who sometimes will let me use their cottage or something where I can go and just be by myself for a few days and write nonstop. And that is a gift, a gift, a gift, you know? Um, and also, you know, wait until a book is ready or a story is ready before you send it out. Uh, that is a hard piece of advice, uh, to learn because of course we all love our own work. We all think we're brilliant, you know, on some level and, or or sometimes when you're writing a book, you're just so ready to have it. I mean, you think of it as like, you know, uh, 
you, you you're just ready. You're, you're ready for it to be yes, out there. Yeah. And the truth is you don't see it, uh, through clear eyes because it's your own work. And sometimes you send yeah. it out too early and, uh, you know, it's disappointing when that happens. And, you know, I mean, people have their own taste. I mean, if you're querying a novel or you're sending out a short story to someplace that might pick it up, I mean, everybody's got their own taste. Some people just aren't going to you know, cotton to your work and that's fine. Um, but it's more when you get the same feedback, which is, this is good, but it's not ready yet. Yeah. You know, I heard that early in my career enough times that now I try very hard to wait until something is really ready. Uh, so many coats of polish. Um, and, uh, you know, that sometimes I even think I'm a little too slow. Um, you know, I'm, I, I polish it too much, but I don't know if there's such a thing. So I guess that would be the best advice I'd gotten. Um, worst advice, I, you know, I, I haven't gotten a lot of bad advice. I, you know, my first three books, uh, my Joe Gale books, um, were published, uh, by Karina Press and they were only issued ever as eBooks. And, uh, you know, at the time that I signed that contract, uh, you know, my agent at the time and other folks were saying, oh, you know, crime fiction is going to go the way of romance. It's everything's going to be on e-readers. Nothing is going to go. And a lot of the mid-list publishers had, had sort of consolidated at that time. So it seemed mm -hmm. like that might be the case. And uh, so I signed a deal, you know, to do that. And those books consequently, uh, you know, never really, never came out, you know, in paper. And I really struggled to find um, as the audience, I think, that I would have liked to have found with those because there are a certain number of people and a lot of them who write, read crime fiction who want to read on paper. I mean, I, I yeah. found that out. I, I, I know a lot of people, a lot of crime writers say, well, most of my books do sell on, I sell more eBooks than I do paper books. But if you don't have a paper book, that's not how it works because people see having yeah. a paper book as being somehow legitimizing in a way that having only an eBook is not. So yeah. That was disappointing uh, decision, I think I would say. That's how I characterize that. Uh, you know, when I would go to events, I didn't have a book to bring for people to buy. So if you didn't get them yeah. to buy right there, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, go home and download it. But how many really did? You know, life gets busy. Yeah. Uh, and similarly, getting reviews uh, were tricky. Um, you know, but a lesson learned. Um, I can get the rights back to those books soon. And uh, I hear from people all the time saying, so when are they going to come out paper? So I will get, definitely get them out, uh, the Joe Gale books in paper someday. Uh, and uh, hopefully someday soon. Uh, because I, I do love those books. And, uh, and I think they deserve uh, a bigger audience than they ever quite found. Uh, and then we'll, we'll go from there. But, uh, so that was, that's, I guess what I would say about that. Well, and it's interesting, Brenda, because this is the business side of, of, of the work, but, you know, not having that print option, if you have a reviewer or, you know, a tastemaker who, who only reads in, uh, in paper, you're missing that opportunity for word of mouth. So, you know, librarians or booksellers or anyone else who's, who's paper only, um, word of mouth is how we sell books. Right. Absolutely. We, we do everything else and take ads out and do, but word of mouth is how you sell That's books. That's so true. Um, so, so true. And, you know, librarians, you mentioned librarians. One thing that is wonderful in the main state librarians uh, library system, uh, has a, you know, electronic thing where they do have a lot of eBooks that are then available 
to other libraries through interlibrary loan. Um, and, uh, so all of my Joe Gale books are there and a lot of librarians have, uh, connected with me, um, to say that they, when they found those books and they would recommend them to people. Um, I was once in a, in a little tiny library in the place where I go on vacation in Brooklyn, Maine. And, uh, the librarian came over to me and said, are you Brenda Buchanan? was like so excited I almost burst into tears I said well yeah I am you know why actually I didn't know I thought maybe I'd drop my wallet or something and then she said are you the writer Brenda Buchanan and I said yes I am you know and she said oh I loved your books and I and I recommend them to everybody I mean we have so many checkouts of them here and so I think librarians again going back to my first love libraries and librarians are what really are just they make our work and our love our life uh you know rich and uh we're we're lucky yeah. to have them among us. We are definitely lucky to have them among us. I mean, Sisters in Crime sends out a monthly newsletter to librarians and booksellers and lists, you know, member um, books to make it a little bit easier for them because it's hard to find everything that's going on. But um, librarians and booksellers, they uh, they help started this organization. I mean, right. they, they have a long history with Sisters in Crime and uh, such an important part of the ecology. That is right. That um, is absolutely right. Yeah. And right. And, and independent booksellers still, I think to this day, very, very absolutely. strong supporters of Sisters in Crime. And it's a mutual admiration society there. We are very yep. fortunate here to have a whole bunch of uh, independent booksellers uh, in Maine. And uh, every time that I go in, you know, I chat people up and let them know, you know, yes, I'm a, I'm a crime writer. I'm a member of crime, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they, and they'll know who the other Sisters in Crime writers are in the area. They'll yeah. say, oh, do you know so-and-so? Yeah. And it's like, yes, we all know each other. It's this tiny little <laughs> club, you know. <laughs> I know. I mean, for New England, Maine is huge. It's a huge state. For If you live in the western part of the United States, it's not, it's not quite as big, but it's still a pretty big state. But it is a small place because there aren't as many people there. I mean. <laughs> a million people spread out over a lot of yeah. land. That's right. A lot all of right. land. Not, not a little bit different. Um, so I'd love to talk a little bit more about your publishing journey and about Neva, because you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. Um, tell me about her. Tell me, you know, you talked about Joe came to visit you and he, you wrote those in first person. Are the Neva books in first person? They are not. They are not. That, thank you. What a good question to ask. Uh, and we didn't even practice this audience. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, they are written in third person because there, uh, it's a multiple POV. Um, there, there are, they are actually harder edged than the Joe Gale books. Um, she is a criminal defense lawyer in Portland. She grew up in Portland and left just as soon as she could to go to law school and worked in Boston before uh, coming back to Maine. Uh, her father had been a criminal defense lawyer in in. Portland and was sort of the dean of the criminal defense bar and was one of those guys whose name's always in the headline for getting some dirt bag off, you know, um, you know, as she says it that way, you know, and he was not very nuanced, you know, he was, he was sort of like a bully kind of a defense lawyer and he was kind of notorious and she really didn't want to have much to do with him, not just for professional, the way he conducted himself professionally, but, uh, some personal you know, reasons as well that come out, you know, everybody has a complicated family story and Neva Pierce is no exception to that. Um, but so she left, uh, she left, uh, 
uh, Portland and did not want to look back at all and was not looking back until her father dropped dead at his desk and somebody had to wind up his practice. And as it turned out, it was the same week that she uh, came up for partnership at the Boston firm and she was passed over for partnership because the uh, men in the firm found out she was sleeping with a woman partner and Mm. who they all had thought was straight. So there was a lot of embarrassment that happened. And ultimately she was not exactly shown the door, but invited to resign. Um, so that all happened the same week. So she finds herself back in this place that she had no wish to come back to. And she thinks of it as a backwater and, you know, like, you know, I'm not my father's daughter. I don't want to live in the shadow. I mean, I, I, you know, I don't want to be judged as my father's daughter. And it takes her a while to realize there are things about being Mac in Maine that work for her. And so she is, um, she was trained as a white collar lawyer in, in Boston in a very big, fancy firm. But what she's doing now is much more blue collar law. Uh, and yeah. she talks about that with her therapist in one scene in, in the book that I have just getting ready to send out in the world. It's called Misguided. At least that's what I call it. It'll be, it'll have a new name, we, we assume. Um, but she's talking with her therapist saying, you know, I, I kind of pretended I liked working, being a lawyer in that big firm with people who could basically buy their way out of trouble. Now my clients, you know, they're, they're regular people, uh, they're in trouble, they need help. And that's really satisfying to me. And I could never have admitted yeah. that to my father, that on some level, I never really liked the big white collar crime thing. Uh, and he's dead now. So I can do this work and it matters to me to help people in their lives. And to me, that's directly informed by the fact that she's also a bit of an outsider because she's a lesbian. Yeah. She sees the world as, as many people and, 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 you know, you and I both, I know are really applauding the amount of diversity in crime fiction these days. And, Absolutely. and, and not the least of which, because, you know, people who have been on the outside, whether that is because of race because of gender, because of uh, sexual orientation, uh, you know, national origin, whatever it is, are sensitized to issues in a way that I think makes crime fiction written by such folks uh, really rich. And uh, so mm -hmm. she, uh, you know, does look out for people who the world's going to run them over like a big Mack truck. You know, if, if Neva Pierce is not there, to stand in the way and, and stand up yeah. for them. And, and, uh, you know, in the book I've just finished, it involves a client who is a vulnerable person, um, basically a victim of domestic violence who, who was living in sort of a commune kind of place that got taken over by a militia and, Whoa. and the militia just sort of, you know, wormed their way into this, uh, you know, somebody who's very keen on, on that, uh, wormed his way into this community and took it over. And as things, violent plans get are made, she, she has to find a way to get out. And she commits a crime basically as a way of escaping from this mm -hmm. horrible experience that, you know, it's, it's now like sort of a fence compound and women are not allowed to travel freely. So Neva ends up picking her up as a client because, you know, she's committed a crime. And and come to find out, she knows a lot about some very bad things that are about to happen. And so it's a real teeter totter because she's so afraid, and Neve is having to reassure her that she can be protected. And uh, so that I I really like the book, and uh, I'm excited about it. And uh, but you know, in all of the books, Neva definitely will be a 
a heroic character. Yeah. I, first of all, I love how you light up when you're talking about her and I feel like she's real. So I think that that's always a good sign, but we had talked about this a little bit earlier, uh, before we got on camera about how even five years ago when Joe Gale came out into the world, um, and, and was created the opportunity, I don't know if it's opportunity is the right word, but, but having a lesbian as the center of a book was it happened, but it was more of an aberration or it was more of a, you know, maybe it's going to be in the gay fiction section or it wasn't, um, there weren't as many opportunities for that. Right. Uh, as they feel like they are now, I, this is my perception. So you can correct me if, if I'm, I'm, I'm misperceiving, but I feel like now Neva can be who the fierce hero of her own series. Whereas five years ago, she may have been a secondary character. I think that's right. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right, Julie. Uh, you know, the, you know, Val McDermott, for example, was doing that few years, you know, years ago, uh, yes. in, in the, yes. the series, you know, with her cold case detective. Um, but there weren't a few, there weren't 10 many other people. And Val McDermott is of course a force to be reckoned with in this world. So nobody was going to tell her that she couldn't do that. And she had a big enough name, of course, from, you know, her other books that she was able to do it. Um, but, uh, that said, I think five years ago, that's right. I didn't really do that in a calculated way with my first, series there you know uh was a significant gay character a guy named rufus roof um who was a very good friend of joe's he was kind of an older brother figure who was a gay man and um he brought a real gay sensibility to those books i mean you know my life is always has had gay people and a gay and straight people both and so i like my books to have gay and straight people both mm -hmm. and and who yeah. interact and in, in, in enrich each other's lives and so i think my joe gale books um you know but he was a secondary character roof was a secondary character for sure and it wasn't like i thought oh i couldn't possibly write a lesbian protagonist and you know when i was writing those books you know say between you know 2007 and when they finally got published um you know in 2015 or whatever it was um, the first one came out, um, but it felt much more comfortable mm -hmm. when I was ready to write this next series to center it on a character who was, yeah. who was a lesbian. And, and there's also, uh, uh, in this, uh, book, uh, a character who's bisexual and, uh, you know, uh, and then there's straight people as well. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's a mixed, you know, kind of thing. And, um, she yeah. deals with homophobia sometimes in her work. And I, but I do like it that she is somebody who is strong and, uh, doesn't in any way hide her lesbianism. Um, she's just mm -hmm. very matter of fact about it, which many people are today, especially in States like Maine, where you can be because there's good civil rights protection, which is not true all over this country. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to say, um, yeah. but, uh, Neva is, is okay with that. Uh, you know, and she's good with that, but there are other people who are writing books with, uh, LGBTQ heroes in them. I mean, Cheryl Head, you know, 
her Charlie Matt yeah. series. It's like yeah. wonderful. I love it. And I love Cheryl. She's wonderful. She's a friend and I am honored to read her books every time I do. Um, Kristen LaPianca, who, who's bisexual yeah. character, Roxanne Weary is just kick-ass. I mean, I just love, love, love. And I, when those books are coming out, that's another one that I, I always have my pre-order and, you know, fall right into them. Um, uh, you know, that is another one. Um, uh, Anthony Badulka is a guy who's a Canadian guy. I met him at that conference, Bloody Words, and he writes, um, wonderful mysteries. I don't know if you know of him, but people should look for him. Um, B-I-D-U-L-K-A. And he writes this guy who's a gay man living in Saskatchewan, um, who's like half Irish and half Ukrainian. His name's Russell Quant. And his books are just absolutely a delight. Well, well plotted, well, you know, well-drawn characters and humorous as well. I mean, very good. Um, there's another woman, uh, Kathleen Kent, who writes a book with uh, Betty Rizik, is the name of her her character, who's a lesbian, who's a cop in Dallas. And I just finished reading her most recent one, which is called The Pledge. Her first one, The Dime, won an Edgar. Um, and I, I mean, again, the centrality of a uh, LGBTQ character who therefore the world um, is seen through the eyes of that is, and and that that person's a hero. I mean, for a long time, of course, um, there's a whole, you know, body of literature about this, about how gay characters were used either as, you know, foils or as victims or as, you know, damaged people somehow. And sometimes, you know, homophobia is a damaging thing. So that's understandable to some degree. But to me, I really wanted Neva, she's a person who's, you know, gone through hard things in her life. We all have been through hard things in her life, our lives. Uh, but uh, she is fundamentally a healthy and strong um, person. And, and she is just, um, I just can't wait till you meet her. I can't wait to meet her, Brenda. Another one to mention is Anne Cleves, who the wonderful, wonderful Anne yeah. Cleves has a new series featuring Matthew Venn, who's a gay man who, of course, came out of a very, very uh, uh, conservative religious background. And that's his cross to bear. I mean, quite, you know, literally uh, and uh, figuratively speaking there. And that is powerful to me because there are people certainly who, you know, have had to overcome obstacles like that and then still end up becoming heroic characters. And I admire yeah. those books so much. I really have enjoyed them. And they're actually now like her other books out on, uh, you know, Acorn or something. So you can watch them. And uh, I love the actor oh, that's, they've chosen for Matthew. Yeah. So. Oh, that's great. No, that's great. I mean, these are, I'll, I'll add these uh, authors to the show notes for this episode so that folks can find them. But, um, you know, your passion um, for your work is is contagious. So I have absolutely no doubt that by the time this airs, Neva will have found a home somewhere. Well, um, <laughs> let's hope so. Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, it's it's something else. But your writing journey is really inspiring, Brenda. And thank you so much for being on the podcast. Well, I really have enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. 
We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international, inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast.